here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop calls. I'm so excited for this conversation today for so, so many reasons, because we're at a, we're at a crossroads, y'all. And I think we have to have these very important conversations to have. So to have these important conversations, I have my dear sister, Leslie Fields. Leslie, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much, Reverend Yearwood. I'm honored to be here. How are you? I am doing, I'm doing good. Um, and it's the highlight of my week. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I'm, listen, it's going to be the highlight for a lot of folks' week to hear this, to hear this conversation. Before we even get to the conversation, because they, they're obviously listening, so they can't see, but behind you, you've got an amazing picture. Who is that in the picture? Oh, in my home office, I have this big poster uh, that got mounted of John Coltrane. It's the cover of Blue Train, that album that he did with Lee Morgan, Curtis Fuller, John Coltrane. Kenny Drew, Paul Chambers, and Philly Joe Jones. And it's just a great, I just, um, it's a very thoughtful picture of him. It struck me when I got it. And I like having him over my shoulder just to keep me thoughtful and creative. So he's just, um, but it's a big mounted poster. So that's just in, on one of my walls in my home office. Thanks for asking. No, and we, and we mentioned earlier how we know that artists like John Coltrane and many others are you know, were very much intertwined within our struggle, but they also themselves had their own struggles. They, right. It was, they were, they were, they were, it's not, it's, it's complicated sometimes to be a, an artist. And yeah, so, and to try to make a living. And then, and then to have a, you know, have a band and you have to support them. And then to deal with the structural racism that they had to deal with in the clubs and traveling. I mean, traveling back then, as you know, was a nightmare for them. Mm. And so, you know, they just couldn't show up at certain hotels and places. And so it's bordered on dangerous. And um, and they also, you know, and they would get off late at night and they would, you know, had to find places to eat and find places to wash their clothes. And, you know, being on the road, there's been a lot of movies about this. You know, if you look at like Lady Sings the Blues and Mm -hmm. and um, oh, like Ray, Ray, you know, the Ray Charles movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Shows people on the road, man. It was rough. Uh, so, you know, they went through a lot and then to get the recording time and then to deal with the record companies, that's a whole other, you know, the contract, that's a whole other world. That's a whole, a whole nother world. Right. And then be a genius at the, on top of that, people, yeah. you know, so, um, people not appreciating your genius and your brilliance, which is very hard yeah. um, for folks because, you know, so I just, uh, he's just someone who um, I try to um, think about a lot and like many other creative people and you have to be very creative to do this work. You know, you have to be, and that's why I love it so much because, um, you know, you get to be with the best people and Mm. trying to create the environments that they want to live in and that their children deserve to live in and they for the next generations, you know, and so you have to be incredibly creative uh, and bring your full self but find balance as well, you know, so, and also to help support culture. I mean, if you, if you can preserve the natural and built environment, then you, then you are able to also to 
preserve your cultural environment. And the cultural environments are really bring the joy, right? And this is also can be joyous work. And it should be joyous work. It's not, shouldn't be a chore, shouldn't be dredge, drudgery, drudgery. Uh, so we are, if we're able to preserve the cultural environments, the real rich cultural environments like New Orleans, like in the uh, indigenous communities uh, all over the country and all over the world, if they're able to um, in that, you know, be able to practice their spiritual practices, that's the joy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the joy of going new places and meeting people and, you know, sampling their foods and, and, and what they do, um, in service and with nature, um, is really, um, the joyous part. And I try to keep that in mind and that's where you get the music and the spirituals and the, the dance of this work. Leslie, I absolutely love that. I mean, that is so beautiful, but sometimes, you know, sometimes our movement seems a little awkward with that it seems yeah. like they don't they don't connect that those those dots to understand culture and community and love right. and food and dance right. all go together and making i mean why do you think that's the case i think there's a big disconnect in our capitalist you know white supremacist society mm. that right we and so the connections the, the disconnections that we all know about i just think that um, and because we are human, we're being so rapacious against the against the whole world environment and our local environments. You don't see, you're not able to appreciate the local environment where you are. You don't, you know. And so, um, and you just you have to survive. Okay, people are in place in situations where they no fault of their own. They are just trying to survive, right? And they just don't have the opportunity to enjoy. Um, their local communities are just going to the park down the street, you know, because the park is not accessible or the park is not clean or the, there's broken glass and there's all kinds of debris because of the neighborhood uh, polluting facility, whatnot, right? Your kids don't have those opportunities. You can't, it's hard to see that you can enjoy that or you have time for that. So there's a lot of reasons for it, but we have a, we live in this capitalist system of, and that is, you know, based on so much deprivation and exploitation that, um, you know, we've been rapaciously just, you know, taking advantage of the finite resources of this beautiful little planet that God gave us. Right. And so um, when the Europeans came, I mean, the first thing, you know, we just started cutting down the trees. That's why we have such little, you know, old growth here, especially in the East, right? They just cut down the trees and who, and then they brought in the enslaved Africans and the, Af- and the black men cutting down the trees and dredging the rivers and all these things to change the natural environment, um, to build um, the, the capitalist society, to build the infrastructure, um, the railroads, everything, as you know. So uh, we've been disconnected from it. Um, and we need to connect better with it and we can do that. Um, and it's really important to do it. Um, so I, I really appreciate the work you all are doing to make these intersections. Um, so people can see the connections and see how they can get involved and see how they can, you know, get the benefits, not just have the burdens of an industrial society. Well, we appreciate that, but we really do. We really appreciate you. And now for those who don't know your body of work, uh, tell us, who 
Who is <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for that. I'm someone, um, I'm the National Director of Policy, Advocacy, and Legal at the Sierra Club in Washington, D.C. Um, and um, I grew up in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Massachusetts. Um, I've been, I come from a wonderful, supportive, small family, my parents and my aunt and my grandparents, and I have one brother, um, and um, been able to, um, they've been very supportive of me as I make my way through this movement. Um, and I initially um, went to college, and then I uh, was fortunate to go to Georgetown Law Center. So I came down here to D.C. for law school. And um, I'd also worked at the NAACP Washington Bureau and a lot of other groups, other nonprofits. So I'm interest, always interested in the intersections of civil rights and voting rights, hmm. reproductive rights as well um, for um, women and women of color. And all these things intersect. And um, so I've had a lot of interesting experiences, and um, but I really got into environmental justice because I did a lot of work on um, farm worker advocacy when I was here in law school. And so started seeing the issues around toxics and pesticides, poisoning, and things like that. Um, after I moved out to Texas and I worked at the Texas Legislative Council um, I was, and, um, I was the only black lawyer, about 60 lawyers. And I learned a lot. It was, it wasn't easy, but I learned a lot. I met some wonderful people and I started volunteering. Um, I worked with the Texas NAACP and, uh, my good, good friend, Gary Bledsoe, who's still the state mm. chapter president and still on the national board. Um, and he would send us, we were the, we were the new guard back then. This is like 30 years ago now. He would send us out on the weekends we got an issue. Get out there. Find out what's going on. All right. So I would. So he called me up one day and he said, you know, you like this toxic stuff. I had drafted uh, one thing that I was very proud of. I drafted the Texas birth defects registry um, because we were uh, hearing and seeing uh, I was going down to the Rio Grande Valley um, and there were women who were exposed to all kinds of chemicals and pesticides and presenting with children, babies that had terrible birth defects. So the state of Texas, if you can't address the problem, if you don't know what the data is. So mm. I was very involved with that. And um, the March of Dimes uses it now. And um, so I was out there doing that. And so our Odessa branch president, who's still the Odessa branch president, asked me to come out because there was something issue with the school. So I taped, told the story a lot. I've taped the map a map of Texas to my dashboard. I took a magic marker. This was my GPS. And I, ma I made myself the route. Young people, there was no GPS back then. <laughs> and I started driving six, seven hours west. Okay. And I found the coordinates. And there's this little school next to this synthetic rubber plant called the Dynagen mm. off of I-10. And I get out of the car and I'm coughing and gagging. And I'm like, what is this? Who does this? And then I go to the community meeting with the abuelas and the abuelos and the grandmamas and, and, and they're looking at me like, what are you going to do? And I had no idea. I had no idea. I went back to Austin where I was living, went to the law library, started going through the Texas um, Clean Air, the Texas um, Air Act. Uh, there's nothing in there. Of course, then I started tripping through the federal Clean Air Act, the monster statute, as you know. There's nothing in there. And I had my epiphany. There isn't anything on this. Mm. It doesn't exist. We have to make it up. And that's what we've been doing, making a way when there's been no way. And then I started 
trying to find the people who were doing this work, started volunteering at the Lone Star chapter of the Sierra Club. Uh, and then my another breakthrough for me was I heard about in 1992, Dr. Beverly Wright, who was then at Xavier University, was having a conference. And I drove out there. And that changed my life because that's where I met Dr. Bob Bullard, Ben Chavis, Charles Lee. And that got me started was that conference and meeting Dr. Wright almost 30 years ago. So, um, so, you know, it's, it's been a journey. It's been, um, it's a calling for me and trying to support um, communities and strategize and get these policies and laws enacted um, and enforced Mm. along the way. Um, I've had a lot of ups and downs um, and um, certainly shouldn't have been, you know, there's just, it was, it's been very complicated. I've worked in a number of organizations. Um, I was a consultant for NRDC during their, uh, the work they did on post-Katrina work. I was the international director of Friends of the Earth. So I was, had a fantastic experience. I was going to Nigeria um, for two years working on gas flaring issues. Um, down in the Niger Delta, and then also to many of the conferences. Um, One World Conference Against Racism in 2001, which I can't believe it's been 20 years. The UN World Conference on Sustainable Development, lots of conferences, some COPs and other conferences. Um, And so trying to, there's so many intersections, there's very little difference between the Niger Delta and the Louisiana Delta, okay? You have the same companies bedeviling these folks, Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, BP. right. 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 And the common denominator that are black and indigenous people. So it's global. It's global, as you well know. Um, still work very closely with PACJAW, the Pan-American Climate Justice Alliance. Um, and along the way, have just been inspired by many people who I'm still in touch with all over the world. Um, and, you know, it's it's uh, but it's, you know, it's really tough work on top of, you know, some of our as our. I've learned the word syndemic. We're in a syndemic, right? Multiple pandemics now. Well, I want to touch on that. I mean, yeah. so a lot of you said you said some some you mentioned some great people, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, in your in your journey um, from uh, Dr. Wright to Dr. Bullard. I mean, so many. So actually, I want to I want to because I want to get through. I want I want to talk about from the work from the Sierra Club, obviously. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about um, just just how we maintain ourselves as Black people. But right. I kind of want to go back to 1992. Mm-hmm. So a lot of folks joke now about how um, uh, Jeff Bezos, when he was a, a, a valedictorian, I guess, in high school, he mentioned how he was going to, in his speech, he mentioned how he was going to go to go to space. So people have been making some jokes about that, about how, man, did he, did he already know that, you know, the whole time travel, <laughs> did he already know what he was going to do? And, and, and all these different, this is, you know, all that kind of stuff. So this is, this is a bunch of, that's a bunch of unique time travel, but I want to give you that gift. Now mm. I want to give you the ability that you've now gone through all that you've gone through from 1992 to this point where we are now. And I want to give you the opportunity to now go back to that mm-hmm. conference. And you can now go back. You now have seen everything. You've seen that we've had Barack Obama, uh, Joe Biden. You've seen Donald Trump. You've seen 
all everything. You've seen the Sierra Club. You've seen Big Greens. You've seen the EJ movement. You can go back to that conference in 1992. If you could go back, I'm giving you this amazing time travel gift. What would you tell them to do differently? Gosh, what a great question. You know, there's very little I could tell them. Those are formidable people, right? And uh, what I would just tell them is keep pressing, okay, which is what they've done. They have not given up after 30 years. You know, Dr. Bull has been writing his books and Dr. Wright has been pushing, you know, keeping the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice going, Charles Lee stayed, you know, and ended up working at the EPA, who, you know, he was with the United Church of Christ and with our uh, good friend, Renice Miller-Travis, you know, co-authored uh, Toxic Waste and Race, 1987. Um, so um, that their hard work has paid off. Their hard work has paid off is what I tell them. Um, it shouldn't have been this, shouldn't have been so hard. There were so many things that happened, um, you know, for example, for, you know, Hurricane Katrina, which, you know, personally affected Dr. Wright. Um, and, um, you know, I, and, uh, and also, uh, Hurricane Harvey, which personally affected Dr. Bullard living in Houston. So people had, you know, things that happened in their families. I think that, um, what I'm very proud of is that, that to know those people and many, many others that they have, uh, stayed the course and pushed hard locally, domestically, internationally, so that now environmental justice is you know, it is uh, in the, it's everywhere. It's in the lexicon. It's being taught at hundreds of universities. It's part of the canon now. And now we have to, you know, it's not a side thing. It's not an afterthought, okay? Uh, at the Sierra Club, we, there, was an envir- there was an environmental justice program from the early 90s. It was place-based. They were in 11 places. And they had organizers. When I joined, I made up my jobs at the Sierra Club. Um, they didn't exist. And um, I talked my way into the Sierra Club. And I do like it because it is it's a place where you can be entrepreneurial. You have to work really hard um, and you got to build your support there. And so they had place-based organizers in 11 places, including D.C., working on the Pepco coal plant, which is no longer over in River Terrace, I'm happy to say. So they put the elementary school right across the street. We had an air monitor on top of that school. Uh, and the new school was rebuilt and that plant has been shut down and it's much cleaner over there. Um, and it's a beautiful little park and um, um, a part of the Anacostia Trail. So I'm an avid bike rider. So I'm, I'm up and down that trail all the time. Uh, and you saw me on my bike at that last event, right? I rode my bike over to uh, Dr. Marsh's and the African burial ground um, service um, in Bethesda two weeks ago when um, our buddy Mustafa Santiago Ali was speaking and as well as you and many others. So, um, you know, I, um, but it's really important that, so, you know, but a lot of people did not appreciate this burgeoning work. They didn't see the, the value in it because the Sierra Club is a microcosm of, you know, um, our society. It was founded in 1892 by John Muir, took Teddy Roosevelt out to the woods back, which happened to be, became Yosemite, right? But in order to do that, you had to kick out the people living there. Who was living there? The indigenous people. And that's been the parks movement. Um, the parks movement, even watch the Ken Burns uh, PBS special, the America's Parks, the best, best idea or something. 
you know, it was for upper middle class white people. And it was it was marketed for that. And they had they had ad campaigns that said, come see the cathedral. Don't go to the cathedrals in Europe. Come see our natural cathedrals like the Grand Canyon Hmm. and that sort of thing. So breaking down that idea that the parks are just for certain people and breaking down the idea um, that you have to be a member to join this organization or the environmental movement is what also we've been doing. And um, so some people didn't appreciate that. And still, you know, it was a lot of, we've had a lot of fights about it. Um, And it's gotten professionalized, unfortunately. And so, you know, disrespecting indigenous knowledge, people who worked and lived in the communities for a long time, as opposed to someone who has gone to school and has a lot of capital letters behind their name. Um, trying to support that. And also, you know, we have priorities and we have things that we work on. Um, we're in, working in lots and lots of coalitions, but, um, you know, it's, so it's, um, we're just a microcosm of our larger society. And um, it's a very old organization founded in 1892. There's 63 chapters and there's some amazing chapters and some chapters who need to um, get their act together. Well, let me let me let me let me ask. I, I want to get to your because you, re, you recently re, were given a well-deserved promotion. Oh, show, thanks. You know? <laughs> um, and so I want us to I want to get into that, but I, I wanted this. I want to continue this piece because mm-hmm. I think that you sit in a place because you were there in, in 1992 and before, and your experience and where you are now. You are clearly a leader from both from all sides of the environmental movement, um, and that is widely recognized. And so I just want to kind of go back though, just one, and, and you don't have to, I mean, you know, you could be like, Rev, I don't want to answer that question. So yeah, I, I'm, whatever you want to do, we, we, okay. we, we want to go. But I do want to know, now that you know what you know, do, would you have told those leaders to create their own entity? Yes, um, and that's what they did. Um, and um, Dr. Wright at the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice, Dr. Bullard, was at Clark Atlanta for a while. Now he's at Texas Southern. So they've done a great job of, you know, of working in the HBCU um, system and mentoring and promoting young people into this space. I think it's very important that we have our own institutions. All right. It's just very difficult. Um, I think we need to be everywhere. What do we stop you there? Why is it difficult? It's difficult because the funding is difficult to get still, as you know. Um, the funding comes from foundations and donors, and they, again, are a microcosm of our society, and they've been, you know, discriminatory as well. And so not taking chances and not supporting small groups over the large, more sustained groups like my organization Um and that's what we're trying to break down as well. There's a number of initiatives that are happening on the Building Equity and Alliance Initiative, bringing together EJ groups and funders and larger organizations um, to go get at this. And it's it's slow going. Um, foundations come from, you know, many of them are from um, the largest from other corporations, right? And then they're 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 staffed by people who are not from these communities, who are not from these fights who are not understanding these situations. And so, you know, it's just been another sector that has to be um, educated and has to be pushed on. All these different sectors have to be pushed on. uh, And it's very unfair. 
that that is the case. And I and it really is upsetting um, because there are a number of great small organizations that deserve more resources to do this work. So that's that's part that's real a lot of this. Um, and now there's new money coming through. Um, and so we have to, you know, again, make sure that the access to the funding um, is equalized and that it's not crumbs. It's not, you know, and that it's equalized. Um, I, there's, there's plenty, there's money out there. It's just that it's been discriminatorily applied. Well, and I thank you for your response, because the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, um, from 92 to now, we know that time goes, we know that time went fast. You sure did. And there's a new generation mm-hmm. who, you know, are in, you know, their 20s now, who 25 years from now, they're going to be like, man, I'm 45, I'm 50. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in that, that, that sphere. They're going to, you know, even though it's a little older. And I know how quick, quick that time goes. And what I don't want to see, Leslie, I just don't want to see, I, and again, we keep it real here. I, I, you know, I mean, I commend all of those who, and I agree with what you said, that they were those who pushed through. And I, I would tell them the same thing, we keep pushing through. But I would just say that I don't want this generation of young activists to be beating their head against a wall um, like many of our older activists are now. I just don't think, I don't, that to me would be a disservice. And I just think that I know, because we know a lot of the groups we're talking about, and this is not just the Sierra Club, Sierra Club is much, much older, but there are some of these these groups who are now turning 50 um, from the League of Conservation Voters, Earth Justice, um, right. Rainforest Action Network, NRDC. NRDC, there's, right. There's a whole group that's turning 50 who back then were only 20. And I know a lot of those groups were in the range of maybe five to ten. Some of them were in. Some of them were, were were negative. Some of them were hurting. And and I mean, back then, we we know this. Some of them didn't have. And in that same time frame, a lot of those groups that were like maybe had a two million dollar budget, five million dollar budget. Some some of them were just holding on to pay their staff. Some of those groups now are over a hundred million, right? Right. That's right. And none of and none of the groups we mentioned that are black are over hundred million. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. Like that's the disparity. How do, how, how moving forward, not just looking back, how do we fix that? I, that's, that's the hundred million dollar question, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it is disparity. It's, it's discrimination. And that the, you know, we have to do better on my my organization and these other organizations to say to these funders, you know, it's just like we cannot we we are we are working in solidarity. We cannot win. We will not any solutions unless everyone is here with us, and they're not all here with us. Hmm. And so it's very exclusionary. Uh, I'm totally in agreement with you, and it and it's terrible. And I agree, it shouldn't be this hard. I tell my stories um, and, you know, I just I'm like, I'm cringing because it shouldn't have been that hard. I shouldn't, you know, and so people really came up against us internally and externally. And, you know, the real forces of darkness are these polluting corporations and their access to lobbyists and dark money and all of these things, right? And the access to government. 
Okay. And so, you know, we are at them as well, but at the same time, it's just should be able to, uh, if you want, and you chose to do this work, have your organization, make a living, be able to put some money away, be able to pay people, you know, decent wages. We had to get two unions at the Sierra Club. We are, we were the first green group to have unions mm. because the young people, people on my team, for example, fought and, 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 and to create, to get unions recognized at the Sierra Club. That's what really started changing the Sierra Club is that we have two unions. And, and I'm proud to say the Progressive Workers Union and the um, Sierra Employees Alliance um, have helped start unions at Union Concerned Scientists and um, Greenpeace. Okay. They were helped. They were brought in to help them. So, um, you know, there's, and, but I also have to say, um, it's not, you know, I visited with a environmental justice organization in California and they treated me terribly. You know, no mm. one's pure. Okay. There's still massage noir, you know, in the nonprofit sector. All right. And, but the big greens, um, I do, I call them the class of 52. A lot of them came in with the first Earth Day. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they all were that same generation. Now they're, you know, moving off. And it was very hard to break in. Like I said, I had to make up my jobs. And so, and it shouldn't have to be that way. And now that's not the case. Um, I was, um, I've tried to, I've brought in quite a few young people. Um, and that, and I think people have to decide if you do this work and you go in with your own personal and professional goals. All right. And you don't have to be there your whole life. And once you, you know, you stay, you know, you stay, prioritize your goals, you learn, you get your professional development at some of these places, and then you go on and do it on something else. And that's okay. Right. And so um, one of my favorite people that I helped bring in was Quentin James. He was the director of a Sierra Student Coalition. Mm-hmm. He has gone on and now he and his wife, Stephanie, started the collective pack. Right. And they're out there, help, they're help, out there helping, um, you know, black folks get elected. I met Quentin through our good friend Jackie Patterson at an NAACP conference in Oklahoma City, and he was a student on the national board. Hmm. And I was like, if this young man can swim in that shark tank, this is somebody I want to meet, right? So that's how you meet folks. That's And then to mentor them and support them, and if they're interested, help them get in. And I've had a lot of support and help over the years, too. So it, it's in I've uh, been an adjunct professor at Howard Law School. I'm very proud of some of my former students who are at Earth Justice, who are at EPA, on law firms. I have one as a state assemblywoman in Maryland right now. So trying to find those opportunities um, to do that. And um, we've gotten some very good interns um, over the years from Howard and UDC locally and other places. Supported the HBCU Climate Justice Initiative every year. We support the um, University of Maryland EJ, Pro- EJ Conference that's coming up. Dr. Sakobi Wilson um, is coming up August, I think, 19th to 20th, and all those students. And so there's really great places that people can support um, going forward and get support as well. And I'm very proud that Destiny was one of our interns. Um, and uh, I'm just so proud of her. And I remember when she did uh, Earth. She did an Earth Day event when she was at Howard, and it was fantastic, okay? And so um, we also had a labor program, and we've had um, great people come through there. We have a really good labor director now, Derek Peters, um, a brother who came out of AFT, and he's going to be really um, gearing his program up for those intersections of economic justice and environmental justice, right? So we formalized that. 
Um, no, I, 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 and I and I actually that that last breath you took says even more because you've done some amazing work of being a bridge for so many. And I just, for them and for me, we want to make sure we want to give you your flowers. Now we want to say thank you because you didn't have to do that. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. No, that's I mean, I know we, our, our former board member, Michael Dorsey went with you all over when you had your, um, no. Yeah. Listen, you name first of all, you named some, let me just say, yeah. you know, I, I know you named me and Stephanie, I gotta say, mm-hmm. this is my cheap plug. Me and Stephanie were at Howard together. Yeah. Okay, right. The great, the great Mecca. Yes, <laughs> so the I got, great I got Mecca. I'm an error. I forgot to That's my that. cheap plug. And and Destiny, yeah. who was an intern who is now a producer on right. this show, also is a is a Howard student, soon to be a Howard grad. So mm-hmm. I just want to say, you know, I didn't want to, you know, didn't want to throw those other HBCUs. I just want to say to all those good Howard folk you was mentioning along the way. No, Howard <laughs> has been so uh, just unbelievable. Um, I'm so grateful for all the folks who've come, yourself included, um, out of Howard University and, um, you know, and trying to make that and and just the great work that's happening over there now still. Um, there's been many others. is very exciting. It really, you know, and everybody can do this. You can be at Howard, you can be a grandmama, you can be a young person, you can be, that's what's so great about this work is that mm. anybody can do it, right? If you care about your local environment, you can you can get involved in it. And, and that's the beauty of it. And don't let anybody stop you, right? And so that's that's the point. Find your find your support, find your allies. You've got to work hard at it. Uh, and there are gonna be setbacks. I've had some serious setbacks. Um, and, um, but, you know, you gather yourself, you have your balance, your family, you know, find that joy and, and, you know, do the best you can. Um, but we do have a problem with the funding and, and that's something that I'm committed to help fix. Um, and that's kind of the final frontier, you know, we've right now on this and I can't, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is a problem. No, it's a problem. And, you know, we've had, uh, Daniel Dean and others from donors of color on 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 this on in this conversation and they brought out how only 1.3% of all funding is going to black led organizations which is so that's that there you go 90 almost 98% of it goes to white led organizations so that there you go we have that that's you know we got to fix that speaking yeah. of that then let's go into reparations i mm. think that's a good i think that's a good segue there's so a great segue you're talking about money, uh, you know, you know, where the money reside, you know, we want to get to this conversation. So, so what is your perspective then on Sierra Club's recent statement and support of reparations? And what is the meaning behind it? Yeah, it's, thank you for that question. It's a good one. So the Sierra Club has been involved in a process of, we have um, brought in more people, more different kinds of people and not, you know, ethnic diversity, but also, you know, ideological diversity as well. Uh, I've worked, I've personally worked very hard at this. Um, I had the only black team for a while um, and uh, professional people. And um, so it's a recognition that the, what has happened in this country, the legacy of genocide, slavery of Native Americans and African 
people of African descent. Um, and then that went on for hundreds of years. Um, and, and then the vicious Jim Crow segregation, North and South, East and West, redlining um, and, and segregation, and now gentrification. All right. There's a direct line between the lost cause and the big lie here. Right. Hmm. And that goes through what I just mentioned. So the Sierra Club is recognizing that. Um, and my good friend, uh, um, Cheryl Blazier, uh, wrote the piece, uh, who's now our international director, by the way. She's out of Louisiana in New Orleans. And um, also our deputy comms director, Lena Francis, who's also African-American, which is driven by African-American staff in the Sierra Club. And that um, we recognize that much of the wealth of this country was built due to unpaid slave and exploited labor, including, you know, chain gangs afterwards and all of that. So that, um, you know, in order to make sure that everyone receives the benefits and not just the burdens of our uh, capitalist society, we have to um, call for reparations for those communities that have been most overburdened and most destroyed. And so that means different things, but we are saying that we we came out and said that because of the work internally and externally that's been directed at the Sierra Club. And so I'm very glad we're in solidarity of this work. We're not leading this work. Movement for Black Lives and others have asked us to be in solidarity. And so we are in solidarity and support of this. We're in support of HR 40, the commission to um, examine and to have, you know, the idea of, of national reparations in the United States. Um, so that's what that means to us. And we can move forward on this and be in, in support and allyship and in solidarity. Let me ask you a question though. Do you, do you, I mean, cause for folks who are listening, I, I want, I want to commend, I, I really want to commend Sierra club on a number of recent actions. I want to commend them on their stance on the leadership and the founders of the Sierra club and being very clear of the racism and the patriarchy within that aspect. I want to thank them for a lot of the tone around the reckoning or post George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, conversation that is still happening. I want to thank a lot of the leadership now on this conversation around reparations, but, and I know when people, when I know when, I know when you say, but that means mm -hmm. that you just discounting everything that you just said before, which you just said before the, but I'm not doing that. I'm not discounting that, but I am asking this question. There are many of those within the Sierra club, particularly on well, different ranks who have rebelled against this kind of, uh, racial justice is climate justice. Climate justice is racial justice kind of positioning that Sierra Club is going for. There's been some rebelling. There's been folks who've been literally oh, yeah. attacking um, the new uh, Sierra Club president, uh, Ramon, has been connect the ED, Michael Broom, the folks right. who attacked you and in your leadership. I mean, and I'm not saying no no, no passing, we debating. I mean, some vicious, like vicious attacks have come against you. That, that then tells me that everything ain't still kosher. And that, that, I mean, that ain't, that, that's still a very hostile, not so much a safe environment. How do you bridge that component 
within the ranks of the Sierra Club? Yeah, I'm, I'll try to answer it as best I can. It's not easy, but at the same time, what happened? That that in no way compares to what these communities are being attacked with by these corporations and these communities. Mm. Like you know that in no way does does what happens to us compare to what's going on with folks you know, in Cancer Death Alley now in Louisiana and the Houston Ship Channel, all right, or any of these other places, you know. Um, so I just want to say that, okay. And, and, and you know, we're going through a shift internally. We've done a number of internal change processes and a, lot, a number of internal change processes are happening now. Change is hard for people, right? And, um, and so, you know, I just try to, um, try to, I just try to be with the people who um, know who our vision and understand that, that we have to go through these changes. And if we lose some folks, then that makes means that we'll have make room for the good new people. I'm interested in the good new people. I'm interested in the good new young people of black people. That's what I'm interested in bringing in. So I got to get rid of some of these other folks. That's okay. You know? And so that's how I'm seeing it. And also that we have to do this. I mean, it's mission critical. As Mike Brune says, it really is. Mm. We cannot, no one can do anything by themselves. And so uh, we have people now who understand we have to be in coalition. We have to be in support, allyship with folks and be in solidarity. We don't have to be in the lead. So we have a democracy program and we're working very hard with the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights and others for the For the People Act and, and the John Lewis Act, right? We were at the vigil there were quite a few hysterical people at the vigil Saturday night at Black Lives Matter Plaza all, and also around the country. And so um, I'm also the co-chair of the Voter Protection um, Project at the National Bar Association and trying also, you know, through that way um, and also to also, you know, have more and been active with them. Um, and they have, they're doing environmental, they've, they've done more environmental justice than I think any, you know, aside from the ADA um, and trying to build that up. And they're going to their convention starts this weekend virtually and they're going to have an environmental justice section. And our good friend Ben Wilson at um, Beverage and Diamond usually leads that. So, Mm. you know, there's um, that's how I've been doing it. And I just try to be around the best people possible and try to, um, you know, my grandfather told us, just walk in like you own the place, no matter where you are. Right. And and that's what I tried to do and have have great support from family and friends. Um, and I love meeting new people to get them involved. Um, and so that's what I do for myself and my spirit um, and get outside and bike ride with friends as much as possible. Um, I think that it's very important to sustain yourself. And in, it's not just self-care. It really is your whole self-care, you know, um, and and and. Um, because that's what our what what's going on now is nothing compared to what our ancestors went through, right? Mm. Uh, and so, like I said, that's that's how I try to keep perspective, um, you know. And you have to fight back. I mean, I've had some some battle royales, uh, and it's, and 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 it takes up time. And I do I do resent that. It, that does bother me that that kind of time that you don't get back. So I'm trying to do, you know. But I think we've slayed. You know, it's been hard, but we. We are seeing success. Um, we worked, you know, the Green New Deal. Um, love the work that Colette Pinch on Battle is doing with the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy on the Black Green New Deal. You know, all of that sort of work that is is what is needed for us to solve and make sure that people get the benefits of um, 
what's going to be developed. But they're not always stuck with the dirty, horrible stuff. Well, you know, I just, I really had this too much. I, first, I want to say thank you for your transparency in this conversation. Um, you know, I, I knew you would handle it. I knew you could handle it. I know that. I knew without a doubt you would be, you, you would, you would be able to handle all these mm-hmm. questions. But I think it's important, you know, for people to have us, to hear us have these dialogues that they can be like, these are some real things that are going on within our movement. So uh, my question really is, what does winning look like? Mm. Uh, in the climate decade, giving everything you see? Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's the great question. I mean, winning looks like what we, there's lots of winning all over, okay? People are winning in terms of, you all are winning having this show and, and bringing the education and advocacy to folks, inspiring people. That is an example of winning to me. Winning is seeing, you know, so many great folks um, on the federal level, the White House, you know, the new White House Environmental Justice Council that we know, um, that is winning. Winning will look like communities that have suffered to get reparations and be able to decide, do they want to stay or do they want to be relocated somewhere else? Their choice, they get the, the, the real value of their hard work and efforts um, and that there's commitment on the state level. You know, all these all these are government functions, whether there's enforcement of the environmental laws, whether there's water infrastructure and sewer infrastructure. There's only so much the nonprofit sector can do. These is commitment from the government, local and state governments to these taxpayers. All these communities are taxpayers. Right. And so that um, their that their tax dollars are going to their communities, not somewhere else. That would be winning. And then. The benefits of a clean energy economy in terms of entrepreneurship and wealth creation, all right, not just, I mean, we want to see family wage sustaining jobs, but also wealth creation going forward for our young people so they can um, create wealth for the future generations as well. And that's very exciting. There's a lot of entrepreneurship going on. I've been active with the American Association for Blacks and Energy in the past, and there's, you know, clean energy professionals coming up all over. Um, and um, very exciting work um, going on. And so that's what I like about this. I mean, the environment and energy field is very wide open. Um, and, you know, you by, by, by going and finding folks and, you know, networking, this is how not only do you gain the skills, but this is like, this is where you can figure out what you want to do. You know, it's, it's, and that way you have some ownership in it. It's not just handed to you and not saying that you, have things handed to you, but it's like there is, there's a lot to be said about finding your way when there's no way, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And being in that way, you can be yourself and be your authentic self and being your authentic self to the work that you or whatever you decide to do. You will be successful. And that will show success. That's what success looks like personally, spiritually for folks. They can be their authentic selves. You don't have to hide. I think. You know, there were lots of times where I had to, I, I did have to suck things up and um, strategic about, you know, picking, <clears throat> you know, what I was going to fight for. I don't feel that as much anymore because I've been inspired by younger people who we've brought in who are like, we got to do something about this that I thought was maybe not as important, but it actually was, you know, because I'm thinking of something else. So it's very important. Um, that's what it looks success looks like. It's it's a multifaceted on every level, and every level is just as important as the other. It's like the international work is no less important than the local work. 
right? And we have to see that um, reflected. And and terrible things are happening now all over the world, as you said in your show, um, um, with the weather and the fires flooding. My goodness. You know, as I I realize I've, I asked this question I want to ask you. This is my my, my last question for you. Um, and I asked this, I actually asked this question, Leslie, for a lot of my younger guests. So I asked this question from Vic Barrett to Leah Thomas, the amazing folks from Generation Green and mm-hmm. you via Apocalypse. I asked them this question, but I realized I don't, some of my more activists who've been around, like yourself, I don't ask, I don't ask this question, but you're about to get it. You're about okay. to get, the, you're about to get the question that most of those who are born in this decade get. <laughs> Um, and this is the question. Um, I'm gonna give you, it's like kind of like, it's kind of it's kind of the question I, I said earlier about the whole time travel one earlier. Right. Um, this one is this. I'm gonna give you a gift, and that <laughs> gift right now is the ability to clap away one of these things. And so when you go to bed tonight, you're gonna clap your hands, and when you clap, one or the other is gone. The other one will remain. The other one will be gone. Whichever one you clap away. And so the two things you can clap away immediately um, are either white supremacy or the climate crisis. Which one will you clap away? Uh, You know, one doesn't exist without the other. Um, (laughs) So I think I I would... um, I would clap away. Have to, I would clap away the white supremacy because that is at the core of the climate crisis, uh, and um, you know, and so, and it's just terrible that um, we're still dealing with this, and it's been it's actually being more reinforced by um, the past Trump administration and those people who only want this power, all right, over us. It's simply because they can't stand the fact that they, instead of finding common cause with other kinds of people, right? So it's, it's irrational, it's a sickness. Um, and um, it's, it's also, as Tony Morrison said, it's a distraction from what we really need to do. And it's very unfair that we have to think about it. I'm trying, but I, we have to get rid of that. Um, and, um, you know, so I, 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 that has been the core of it. That's what. That's why we have this exploitive economy, um, because the white supremacists will not um, allow people to share in the benefits. They only get the burdens and the pollution and the destruction and the soul-crushing, um, you know, atmosphere that people have to live in, so they can't aspire to other things. Um, and that, that is, that is what we have to deal with colonialism. It's all over the world. So, um, I, I would try to get rid of that first, but mm. climate is right, right behind there. Mm. Please tell us how we can keep up with your work and how we can support you. Oh, that's a wonderful question. So I would say, you know, we need people joining the Sierra club, um, the DC chapter or wherever people are in their, in their communities in Georgia, the, President of our XCOM is uh, African American. The president of our XCOM in North Carolina is African American now. We've got people in Alabama. Um, we've got real active folks 
in our, um, I mean, our Minnesota chapter, um, extremely active, Illinois. We have African-Americans on our national board. All right. We had, um, and the, our, we have, um, I mean, my favorite, my favorite chapters are Puerto Rico chapter because they really fuse. Everything is around a, a festival. It's so much fun. We used to do the Puerto Rican Day Parade. We were the only environmental group. We had a float. We used to salsa down Fifth Avenue, pick up the bottles for the Department of Sanitation. You know, those sorts of things um, you can do in our organization. So, um, but you don't have to do that. Please just be involved and support your communities um, locally or schools um, on these issues. So the following, you know, I'm... um, the best way is to join the club and my email is leslie.fields at sierraclub.org. And we do a lot of great things and a lot of fun stuff. Um, and we need, we need everybody's brilliance. So we need help. And I, I hope that um, people reach out to me and we can get together. Um, so that's, um, so we can support each other. I really see this, and see what you all are doing is doing that. So I, I'm just feeling very grateful. And I thank you so much, Rev, um, for this time and all the um, the great shows you guys are putting out. Because it is the coolest show on the planet. Thank you so much. Our guest today is Leslie Fields, the National Director of Policy, Advocacy, and Legal at Sierra Club. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you, Leslie. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.